We want to expose you while you're here to several church planters, men who are having uh, God-blessed ministries. The first one of those we want to introduce you to is Christopher Robbins. Chris, come on up. No relation, 1B instead of 2. Chris is a married man of 25 years, two sons. He's church planting in San Francisco. Now, many of you are thinking, haven't I been hearing something about churches that we planted in San Francisco? I'm going to let Chris clear up some things, but uh, his story uh, could fill up the afternoon. Parents converted out of a Jewish, Catholic, and Hindu background, Buddhist background, and uh, his father was ordained as a ruling elder under O. Palmer Robertson. How you move from a former Jewish Buddhist to being a ruling elder under O. Palmer is a story worthy of an hour to itself. Chris has pastored in Pittsburgh, planted a church in Atlanta, and he's been in San Francisco for the last 20 months. And I want to ask him just a couple of questions, and all I'm doing is whetting your appetite. I'm hopeful that by seeing his face, he'll be easy to pick out. He's the only guy wearing a bow tie here right now, and didn't get the memo, but he's countercultural. And so, uh, hopeful that you'll grab him, line him up to come to your church for your missions conference, um, talk to him about how you can get on board with supporting this. Uh, San Francisco is one of the one or two most expensive cities in the world to church plant in. And so, obviously, this takes lots of resources. I'm going to ask Chris to answer just a couple of questions for us. First of all, what are the, the chief challenges to planting an ordinary means of grace church in San Francisco, and what are the great opportunities? Thank you, Carl. Um, yeah, it really is uh, Christopher Robbins. And if anybody has an original joke, I would love to hear it. I mean, come on. And Ralph, why aren't you giving out Bibles to the best-dressed church planter? And I want to know, I, I knew Mel was going to be here, and that's why I dressed like this. I've never seen Mel without looking better than me. And... Um, I was talking to Coach Carl asked me about this. Um, every time we start worship, we started with worship with two people. And um, I know that's not supposed to be church planting strategy. But to me, uh, we, weren't, we weren't gathering to play church. We were gathering to be the church from the very beginning. And uh, that's, that, was, that was weird in my living room. But I would tell everybody... This is weird. Christians are weird. We're weird. We need to get over it. Ordinary means of grace is weird. It's not attuned to the culture in a way that be, I think even by the very act, you know, what does they say? The media is the message. And uh, by being this strange, I tell everybody, what better city in North America is it good to be strange in, to be weird and to be different? And so the ordinary means of grace for us and its simplicity and its beauty, I think, is a great antidote to, it's a great picture that's completely and utterly countercultural. And uh, that's the, that's the uh, excitement. I, 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 I like to tell people, I, I like to say I'm, I'm ordinary means of grace because I'm clever or holy or wise. I'm not. I'm just too stupid to know how to do it any other way. And I, I don't, I just, I just, nothing else makes sense to me. Um, challenges. Uh, so the three things I, 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 the first thing I'm going to ask for is, um, uh, if you will, I need, I need wise, I need a, a, a new wise perception. Uh, the, you know, the great apostasy of this generation 
is present in San Francisco right now with City Church. And City Church has apostatized. And in fact, I try not to use the word church. I don't want to use it. Uh, And that has meant uh, literally hundreds of people now are either calling me or showing up for worship. We only have 20 people. And it's very hard. And I need wisdom about how to lead these people into understanding uh, what they're leaving and why and how to leave well and how to leave wisely and leave, leave with love. I need wisdom. Why? A wise, perceptive heart. Second, um, I need uh, a strong protection. Um, in the exodus of, of City Church, um, it's obvious... I don't, want, I, I don't want to talk out of turn... You notice, by your fruits you will know them. This fruit is betraying, I think, a heart in that church which wasn't healthy. And what I mean by that is, is that they are very willing, very, very willing as a church to publicly hang out leaders who disagree dry. If you get your name attached to being homophobic in San Francisco, you can get your house firebombed. It happened. It happened. It happened. It's happened in the last 20 years. Yep. McElhaney. It happened, it happened to Chuck. So when those names were published by the leadership of City Church, the elders who resigned, they're, they're, both those elders have started attending our church, our church plant and others. They, he put them out there. And they're exposed. Be, for that reason, I don't know if you read, wrote the, read the letter that Dominic uh, published online, but I, I put my name out there because I thought, if those two guys are going to stand out there, then I need to stand out there. Does that make sense? And it didn't seem fair to me that they would, they would take the heat and I wouldn't. But I, I am a little bit scared. I'm honestly, I'm not quite sure what's going to happen. Um, third, I need, uh, we continue to need ample provision. Uh, it is an expensive city. I moved out prematurely without finishing my fundraising. Because a house, does anybody remember the Browns? David Brown, who, who started the Presbytery out there? Uh, so, anyway, uh, he was the founder of the Presbytery. He had a house in San Francisco. I live in San Francisco for only $1,000 a month. Three bedroom house with a garage and a yard. So, our father's providing. It's going to be the cheapest church plant on the West Coast. It is, the, it, it, it is seriously the biggest bargain going in church planting right now. I've been bivocational even. I'm, I, I don't care. I, don't, I like to work. It works good. And my kids are going to be out of the house, so I can, I can be bivocational if I have to. I started doing Lyft. Have you ever heard of Lyft and Uber? I'm a driver. So support, support, my, support my company. Um, so the provision, though, that provision piece, that last piece is, is, is wearing in, on the heart. So those are the things that, those are the, and the opportunities. If I could tell you, it's one more thing. It, it is amazing how easy it is to share the gospel in San Francisco. These people don't know anything. Remember when Charles Darwin uh, landed in the Galapagos, the animals had no fear of him? They would walk right up to him? Well, I, when I, I church planted in Atlanta, when you tell people you're a pastor in Atlanta, you could see the fear. You know, the, the raw, naked fear that go across their eyes. What's he going to do? What's he going to do? What's he going to say? 
I also noticed they would start telling me good things they do, you know, like a list. And you know what they say? You know what they look at you in San Francisco? They think you're a throwback. They think I'm some sort of Neanderthal that just walked out of the woods. And they don't know there are people like me in the world. And they want to talk. So this kind, I'm going to end with this, only comes out by prayer. David is on my prayer team. Mel's on my prayer team. I know a number of you are here praying for me whenever I ask or send out a prayer letter. That prayer team's about 420 people strong, and I'm praying it will be 1,000 by the end of this year. I mean that with real sincerity, and I, this kind only comes out by prayer. And that's my, that's my, uh, that's my spiel. Grab a hold of Chris while he's here this week, and he can hear more of the story. Crawford, if you would come up. While Crawford's coming, he's not allowed to gloat. He's the RUF campus minister at that school in Durham. That's all I'm going to say. Um, we're not even going to mention that. But I'm going to ask Crawford. He's the RUF campus minister at Duke. And want him to share with you uh, what sort of students he's connecting with. What are the peculiar challenges to ministry on the campus of Duke? What does it look like to introduce students to an ordinary means of grace ministry? Thanks. Uh, it's exciting and challenging, and there's a lot of opportunities, so those are uh, great questions. I remember when I was candidating for the, the job at Duke uh, and the calling to be the campus minister there, I went, I went on their website, because I'm a Vanderbilt grad, so I was an SEC person, and I was taking the plunge to the ACC, and I went on the Duke's uh, website, and right at right the beginning of their website, it said, Culture of Champions, and it said, you know, in the classroom, and had a picture of them, and um, some students doing some lab research, and it said sort of on the, uh, on the court, and it had pictures of uh, Coach K and, and the students and uh, the players and the team, and it, it's, it's a culture of champions at Duke, and uh, that, that, that creates a lot of ministry challenges and a lot of ministry opportunities. Challenges, I would say, is uh, the diversity of the student body. Basically, the administration is, is trying to cultivate uh, their idea of a liberal utopia. And so you sit down with freshman students as they come, and it's, it's, a, it's the son of an orange farmer in California and a first-generation college student whose mother was a cop in Philadelphia. And you, can, you just see this composite story that some maniacal admissions officer was trying to put together this community of the most intelligent, smart, and gifted people in the world from various backgrounds, religiously, racially, uh, and it's... And the interesting thing about it is it's a fascinating place to people watch. It's a fascinating place to have a cup of coffee with somebody. Uh, but what's interesting for 18-year-old college students is it's the first time they've ever faced failure. So they come into this culture of champions as the smartest person from their hometown, smartest person from their high school, smartest person in their family, and they uh, feel squeezed for the first time. And they need somebody that is familiar with God's word uh, to pick up the pieces after they fall apart. And so what does it mean uh, to interact with the ordinary means of grace? Uh, I think in some ways being at Duke, a very progressive place, a place that's not hostile to the gospel, but almost as Christopher was saying, it's like, oh, a relic, a little evangelical, how sweet. Uh, it's, It's not like we don't want you here, it's just sort of, are you going to say anything that, that means anything to me or that's, that's going to strike it 
in some sort of real way in my life or heart. And so it causes me to trust my theology. Does the word really have the power to convert and convince sinners and to build them up um, for a holy life? Is that true? Is that, is that real? Or do I need to come up with some cleverly devised myth or strategy? And what I've seen is God has been faithful through the ministry of his word, through faithfully uh, preaching in season and out of season. And uh, it's, it's a, so, the, so the greatest um, threats to the ministry uh, are also the greatest opportunities because you have these people coming from all over the world that are being raised up to be the next leaders of society and business people and mothers and doctors and you know, global CEOs and trying to introduce them to who Jesus is as they sort of answer questions about their identity. Many of you have children that are uh, college-aged or you, don't, you remember it from when you were, you were there maybe not too long ago. And I think there's two questions that students ask. And one is, who am I? And the second is, what's my role in the world? And the scriptures just have profound things to say uh, and ultimate answers to those two questions. Who am I and what's my role in the world? And so when I came to Duke, I'm replanting the ministry there. So there were four students there, so there's more than two. And, uh, and I, I remember people said, well, you can't, you can't just go to Duke and start a Bible study. That's, just, that's not going to work. Nobody's going to come. Nobody wants to go to a Bible study. It's, that's, not, that's not Duke. And I didn't, kind of like Christopher, I didn't know anything else to do but to start a Bible study. What else am I doing? I'm a pastor. I'm going to start a Bible study. And so I started a Bible study, and a couple students came, and they started bringing their friends. Uh, I was able to uh, baptize a, a student into a PCA church this spring. Uh, we had a, an atheist 18 months ago that now has been called into the kingdom of light. And so it is, it is amazing what God, through His Spirit and the faithful ministry of His Word, the prayers of His people, will do. And it has been encouraging to my soul and my heart to see that and to really see that what's foolishness to the world is really the power of God. And uh, it's, it's amazing. So, yep. Thank you, Crawford. I'm going to ask that you grab a hold of both Christopher and Crawford. These are men who are available to talk to you, to come to missions conference, to speak to your missions committees. But before I turn the mic back over to Ralph, I'm going to ask Dr. Doug Kelly, who probably knows more and understands more about spiritual warfare than anybody you know, if he would pray for both of these men, because I can't think of of a zone of spiritual warfare that's more powerful than San Francisco in the campus of Duke. And so, Dr. Kelly, would you pray for both of these brothers? Thank you, hear me from here. Yes. Lord God, we thank you for this fellowship we have in my son's precious name and this good place where we meet year after year after resurrection dead. And Lord, we pray for thy two servants that are in very challenging situations, certainly most of us have never been in exactly the same, although we know what it is to fight the world of flesh and death. Grant them, first of all, prison, Crawford, divine protection. Jesus has told us, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We join in 
praying for our two brothers and their families. Lord, deliver them from the evils that obtain in a place like San Francisco and Duke and Durham and the other universities. Not much better than God. Protect them and then, Lord God, grant them insight into thy word. Grant them unction when they teach and preach and speak. Grant them, Lord, the power to overcome temptation that we must all mortify the self-life. Not that we don't have to do it, but we pray for them as for ourselves. Thou will help us to come to the cross as many times a day as we need to come. Grant them joy and peace and believing. Grant them financial sustenance that they need to be in those places and support their families. <coughs> Lord, thou hast a cattle of a thousand hills. Grant them that. And any of us that can help, may we be willing to say, Lord, here am I. Use me. And again, Lord, we say, we thank thee. The greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Help them to overcome. All those motivated by Satan and his followers. And give a grand account of it. That at the end, they may stand before thee with much joy and say, Praise God for all blessings for you. This we ask through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen.